You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thanks for showing up, tuning in, downloading the show, however you're here, we appreciate it. If you've got any questions about anything that I've said in the past or... Uh, anything on the website or whatever, don't hesitate to write. You can do so at my website, NowhereToRunRadio.com, which is also a link to all the other projects and ministry-related stuff that uh, is going on. So, uh, been a busy week, week and a half, two weeks or whatever, mostly in preparation for the upcoming Future Congress, which will be really t- starting tomorrow in Branson, Missouri. And we are leaving early, early, early tomorrow morning. And so things have been kind of busy today, and so I'm sort of multitasking as I'm doing the show, but I definitely wanted to make sure I got a show done before I left. A few different things I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about some of the presentations that I'm doing at Future Congress. I'm going to talk about, uh, I, w- I just watched the, Lord, the last Lord of the Rings, um, and it made me think about a few different things in relation to, oh, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. David Icke debunked, going to talk about repentance and the gospel going to talk about the Pollyanity Project, Stop Sleep Paralysis, going to go more in depth about the zeitgeist stuff and the new wave of zeitgeist, um, the Empire Strikes Back, as Mike uh, Bennett put it, and um, just briefly hit on the YouTube mailers and Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists. So, got a full schedule. I have no real outline for this, so I'm just going to jump right in. First of all, the presentations of Future Congress just finished them up. The first one is called, well, actually, the first one I'll be doing is Zeitgeist History Rewritten, and the second one is the New Age and its relationship to the Antichrist. Both of them, I was actually pleased that I was able to accomplish something that I felt like hadn't been done before. There were elements in it that, that I felt like were needed and useful which was really what I was worried about. I didn't want to just reinvent the wheel, talk about the New Age again, talk about Zeitgeist again. Particularly notable was uh, that of the Zeitgeist one. Well, I mean, both of them were, but I just got finished with the Zeitgeist one, and it was notable because a few different things. One is I covered sort of the history of the mythicist position, and it is very, very new, very recent um, in terms of I mean, it's it's only really the 18th century is the earliest you can really find for this. And I covered a lot of that, but I also covered some of the new arguments that uh, the Zeitgeist proponents have put forward. Really, in a lot of respects, some of the debunkings of Zeitgeist are obsolete in a sense. They're true. They're, it's not like there's anything wrong with them, but they are obsolete, and there really needs to be a new debunking of Zeitgeist. I didn't really think that. I mean, I knew that it, that, that stuff existed, but and I had seen all the arguments, especially you know with my website, zeitgeistchallenge.com. I have really never received an actual, genuine uh, uh, submission to the Zeitgeist Challenge. Nobody has ever put in a format, in the format that's requested, and or answered the questions that are there. Mostly what people will do is just send a bunch of links, or very popular to send a link to Acharya S.'s, um, what she call it, the Zeitgeist Companion Guide, or to another link where it's something that she calls um, the Real Zeitgeist Challenge. 
in which I did a, a video about that called The Real Zeitgeist Challenge Debunked. I'm kind of getting off subject here. And by the way, I'm I'm burning DVDs here as we're, as we're doing this. But the main point I wanted to say is that is that a whole new crop of Zeitgeist debunkers has emerged since 2007, and they have, in response to the debunking videos and stuff, have tried to find, you know, actual references to the things that Zeitgeist claimed. In essence, it's like this. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, okay, so maybe the stuff we said about Zeitgeist, and maybe that's not true, but here's a whole new list of, of things. This is what we actually meant. And so they, literally, that's what the the Zeitgeist Companion Guide really is. In fact, they took down the old reference list. You can't find that online anymore, as far as I know. It links you instead to, Zeit, to Acharya S.'s Zeitgeist Companion Guide. Some of the things, like Acharya S., who was the main source for Zeitgeist, references Carpenter, a guy named Edward Carpenter and Gerald Massey quite a lot. And they don't give references quite a lot. So she goes back and tries to find the references for these guys, and this, I heard her talking about it on that. It's like, well, I just dug up all the references, and I found out where they were referencing. And it, it's interesting, when you when you see her reference, like a paper or something, that looks like, oh, she's referencing early Egypt belief about this. And you go find out, no, she's, she's referencing Massey, who's referencing, um, you know, another paper. And he, if you don't follow Mass, this new link, and you don't figure out where he's quoting from, then you would never find out that he is actually putting an interpretation on what's there that is not there. For example, there's a place where she says that, that Horus was called the Lamb of God. Okay, Now, she's quoting Massey, who is basically telling you that this this part and this weird thing that talk, is talking about a sheep um, is talking about Horus. It doesn't call the sheep God. It doesn't. T- it, it, it's really just talking about a sheep as, as a part of a ritual or whatever. And Massey just tells people that it's about Horus. Oh, the, the sheep. Yeah, that's really about Horus. And so he puts an interpretation. And then you go look at this, what he's referencing, and you know different translations of this. Uh, it, it, it's totally, completely not about Horus whatsoever. I mean. So there's lots of different ways that they, they do this. She, and then she's got another trick up her sleeve, like. One of my favorites is, um, you know, okay, Horace wasn't crucified. Oh, I know we told 100 million people that he was crucified. But what I meant to say was that, you know, sometimes you can find pictures of these gods with outstretched arms in different occasions. There's this picture of Horace where his wings are spread, you know, like a, a hawk, you know, going to fly or whatever. Um, so that's what she meant. She, she calls it cruciform. That's what she meant to say. So when Zeitgeist says that Horus was crucified, died, and three days later resurrected, that's kind of what she meant, is that you can find a picture of Horus. And she's got a she's got a nice little link there that's quoting you know, quote, quoting back, looks like, hey, I'm quoting Egyptian references like everybody asked me to now. Anyway, it's a mess. And because it's not properly being dealt with, and a lot of the old stuff that uh, was originally used to debunk Zeitgeist is, is just sort of waving their hand at it and not dealing with it, um, it needs to be redone. Thankfully, I've been talking with a guy who runs the website King David 8, which is uh, a really great website. It was actually his website that gave me the first hope back when I used to believe in this stuff that there was uh, a problem with the theory. And I've referenced it uh, on numerous occasions. And Anyway, 
the thing about it is he is actually engaged in in dealing with some of these people from uh, there's a different sort of forum that's sort of, sort of it's a, the one Acharya S belongs to and it's just a whole bunch of like Acharya S ites and basically so they're kind of collecting their data and sort of at trying to come up with this new Empire Strikes Back kind of thing as I mentioned so what he's doing is he's doing a debate with them with their best possible evidence and they're going to do it in a format that I think is going to be really helpful to uh, to use that information to be a part of a comprehensive new debunking. It's terrible that it needs to be done just because of the way and the deception in which they've hit it, but it need, but it unfortunately needs to be done, and it's going to take a long time. I had to buy, like just for answering the claims of, of Horace, I had to buy like certain papers and stuff like that just to find out that she was referencing a post-Christian source or whatever, which he did several, you know, referencing this German paper that nobody's ever going to go look up. You've got to buy it if you can find it. And then you find it, and it's in German, and then you realize the guy's quoting uh, Plutarch. This isn't what the Egyptians believe. This is what the Hellenists believed uh, about the mystery religion of which Plutarch was an initiate and worshiper of Horus, and therefore incredibly biased anyway. But it's 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 well known that he was biased in that particular thing. But it doesn't matter anyway. She's she's quoting Hellenistic Greek, post-Egyptian, uh, post-Christian belief about Horus in the mystery religions, which is a totally different thing than what people are asking. Kind of getting off the subject there. Didn't mean to ramble so much about that. The the presentation about the New Age is, uh, I think, really important. I really wanted to uh, really clarify what I meant on that, uh, and not clarify, but just sort of solidify uh, the view the, that uh, how the New Age can be used as a mindset and how there is also um, how it plays into the Antichrist system that is coming according to the Bible. I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, also, quick note on the zeitgeist thing, I found a lot of spiritism in the history of zeitgeist theology, also some connections to theosophy that I think are very, very interesting. But Gerald Massey, for instance, was a, a, a spiritist, he was a, a guy who believed that whatever the spirits told him was the truth. I have quotes to him on that effect. They told him what books to read, they told him and uh, you know everything. They, there was an occasion there where he, he finds... That the spirits told him to write all the newspapers and tell him something about some guy that was in, that was on death row, and they they killed the guy anyway, and you know he was blaming the newspapers and and everything. But he said the spirits, you know, told him he did a good job anyway, so it was all good. But he he mentions automatic writing, you know, the spirits moving his hand. This is Gerald Massey, who like everybody's, I mean, he's a self self taught Egyptologist in the 1800s. Plenty of problems with that. I mean, first of all, the guy is in the you know, 1800s, the Rosetta Stone was barely translated. Not We know so much more about the basics of e- the Egyptian language uh, now than we did then. You should expect there to be different interpretations of it. But the biggest problem, besides him being self-taught, is the fact that no modern Egyptologist agrees with Massey's interpretation. Not to mention that he also, like Plutarch, like uh, like uh, Cursey Graves um, and Godfrey Higgins, uh, are... Bias in in Massey's case, not only was he a spiritist like Cursey Graves, but he was also a chosen chief druid of the druidic order, and so was Godfrey Higgins. Actually, had that exact same title, uh, chosen chief druid, who was also a Freemason. But 
Um, I'm telling you, man, it, the history of the, the mythicist Christ myth theory is so flaky. And I also go through in that particular presentation a great deal about the uh, the existence of Christ as a historical person and do that in a way that I've wanted to do in a while, for a while. And it's interesting that the belief about Christ not existing as a historical person did not begin until at least the 1800s. I mean, that is, that's pretty weird if you think about it, because there are plenty of people that wrote about Christ, and they were his enemies. They did, they were trying, they were losing converts to their pagan temples, or they were losing converts to um, Judaism, and they could have easily, would have much preferred to say, look, you guys are falling away for this guy that didn't exist, you know, but instead they were like, don't go to that guy, his miracles were parlor tricks, he, you know, his mother was, you know, he was illegitimate and all these other things. They could never get away with, oh, he didn't exist, you know, it's the, the argument just wouldn't fly any more than I could convince you that uh, Abraham Lincoln didn't exist. Uh, but given 1600 years, Abraham Lincoln and all the pictures of him disintegrate, and I might be able to convince a few people of it. Anyway, so moving on to some other things. The Lord of the Rings. I watched the last Lord of the Rings of the day, uh, The Return of the King, and oh man, you know, I don't. It wasn't really. There wasn't really any symbolism that I was particularly interested in. I didn't really care much about all that stuff or any connections in that way. The main thing that I was interested in was the epicness of it and the battles uh the, the 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 direness of the of winning the battle and they're sort of up against such a hopelessly strong evil um and the nowhere else to to turn no other way to go but directly to try to battle against this great evil and really needing a series of miracles in order for that to work that battle to be successful in any way, shape, or form, because. But I think it was the, I think it was the, the the big picture thing that that hit me, and I, I mean this in terms of ministry and, uh, you know, we're up against such great evil. I mean, even if you you know the New World Order perspective and everything else, you could certainly take it like that, and I certainly it's incorporated in this thought process. But it, it's bigger than, than that. It, it's it's all the deceptions and, and the deceptions within deceptions. It's the cults. It, it's you know the Jehovah's Witnesses and the, and, and and it's the uh, the false doctrines and it's and it's the New Age and it's and it's rampant hedonism and, and sin and it's it's uh, hatred of God and it's and it's this blackness and occultism and demonicness. It's all just there and it's destroying people that we know and love it's uh in that sense such bigness and 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 really hopeless without any uh supernatural help and it really just convicted me i guess in the sense of you know thinking of ministry in terms of you know right what's in front of you you know this is my thing this is what i'm doing you know, I need this, or thinking about even even really just being very self-focused in terms of your prayer life. You know, Lord, help me with this job. Lord, help me with uh, you know this thing that I need, or this 
you know, and that's all good. I certainly think that it's very needed and important to pray for yourself. I've talked about that a gajillion times. But um, the the main thing I guess I'm trying to, to say is the big picture and that for me, I don't know why, but that, that movie had a really strong impact on me remembering the big picture about all this and that we are in a cosmic battle of, you know, Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood with principalities and powers. We are we are no match for really what we are up against. And, um, but there are great victories to be won. I anticipate victories in this darkness to be greater than we can even imagine. I think revivals among the cults, revivals among the New Age, revivals, revivals, revivals in the midst of defeat i think that we should be encouraged and remember that but i think that we should also be willing to lay down our lives for it i mean sure we all sort of understand the martyrdom aspect of it you know uh you know when it all comes down sure you know i'll i'll get my head chopped off or whatever version of that you would think or but i mean give up your lives in terms of you know fighting the battle too um and and going out there, and I don't. I'm not saying everybody go hand out tracks or anything. I don't know what your thing is or who's in front of you or if it's even a thing like that. Um, it may have nothing to do with evangelism. It may have nothing to do with anything that I'm doing. So try don't model it after anything that I'm doing. It's just a you know who. Some people are hands. Some people are ears and eyes. And why should you know the hand say to the eye or however that goes? You know what I mean. So anyway, epicness, big pictureness, um, that was pretty much what I had for that. Oh, uh, let's see, David Ike debunked. Um, again, getting more emails about people like actually getting saved from watching that movie. So continue to pray for that movie. It I noticed the ever, after it hit hundred thousand views, it went. Um, I started posting it around Facebook and stuff like that. I got banned from the David Ike Facebook page. So if anybody else wants to like the David Icke uh, Facebook page and post that movie, or you can do what I was doing, was posting the subsections of that on my backup YouTube page, Verse by Verse BT. Um, there's little shorter versions of David Icke debunked that are topical. Those are helpful to post around. But anyway, that has really jumped. I know that it's causing trouble because it started to go jump up in the ranks on uh uh, again, and it, in addition to that, I've recently gotten certain uh, mails from people that are um, not liking that. I'll just leave it at that. The other thing, stop sleep paralysis. I know that I haven't talked about that in a while. We're still doing all the stuff that uh, the sleep paralysis emails and stuff like that. The project that we were working on with that is still in the works, but because it's such a long process of entering in all the data and everything, it's been difficult to get it all in. Although we've got quite a lot of the data entered, but there's so much data and there's so many responses. All of those are good things, but it's just going to take a while. Once all that stuff's in and we measure all the data and we are able to uh, to uh, put it together and sort of analyze it, that's when we can really do something amazing with it. But that is, unfortunately, just something we have to... It's just a matter of time before we can see that to fruition um i'll talk about one other type thing like that youtube mailers i've really for what the 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 discipleship dvds have been just great i've been sending them out to everybody 
all over the place. And I'm, every time I send them out, I'm just like, man, this is what I want to do. This is like my favorite thing to do for some reason is sending those discipleship DVDs out. So uh, don't hesitate if you think, you know, whatever reason to to get one of those, uh, don't hesitate to do so. But I, want, I mentioned that in terms of after the conference, I'm going to release that on the YouTube channel. I've got a lot more subscribers on there um, recently, so hopefully that'll keep me pretty busy in mailing those out to even more people. And finally, I'm going to talk about what I've been really thinking about for the last two weeks in the midst of all this other stuff with the conference preparation and stuff like that. I've talked a lot about the DVDs and stuff that I've been working on, particularly Jehovah's Witnesses with a side emphasis on Seventh-day Adventists. I I realize that if I'm going to do the Jehovah's Witness thing, it's going to have to be really, really focused on it for a time. And so... um, the guy that I've been working with, we've both been just diving into the material. I don't know how many hours of Jehovah's Witness information I've listened to recently. I've really become to respect Walter Martin on his research for the Jehovah's Witnesses. Of all the stuff that I'm listening to, I do find his argumentation method to be very important, but a, but a so, so important to realize how to approach Jehovah's Witnesses. And if you're going to get anything done, there is so much that needs to be known in terms of psychology of doing it. And after all this research, we've determined that we're going to have to just do a debunking. That it's going to have to be, I mean, I'm not going to call it Jehovah's Witnesses debunked, but that's what it's going to be. So this is going to have to turn into an original project. Originally, I was hoping to not have to reinvent the wheel, just take some audio, throw some images up, and you know, call it a day. But as this gets... Uh, you know, as we keep doing more of this, I'm realizing that it's going to have to have its own thing. Same thing with Seventh-day Adventism. It's going to have to have its own thing. So I've recently dove into that. I've just got done listening to several several audios on Seventh-day Adventism. And it's going to be fun in one sense because both both of those things and really all this stuff allows for some of the best refutations of some of the most common, uh, I don't know about most common, but extremely common questions that people have. Like, for instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the main famous thing is they question the divinity of Christ. They claim that, you know, Christ wasn't God. They also question the Trinity. They say that um, the resurrection was not real. Jesus did not rise in bodily form. He rose only as a spirit creature, I believe is what they call it. And then he took on certain bodies to sort of encourage the disciples, re-deceive the disciples, uh, that he rose in a body. You know, hey, you know, unless I touch your body, you know, and then the, the holes and everything else, he was essentially, according to them, just sort of deceiving them because he just only rose in spirit form. Um, that one really is... but. They also, you know, the doctrine, they don't believe in hell. They don't, they believe in um, something called, uh, well, they, long story, they don't believe in hell. They don't believe in a lot of those things. Those are really common issues that can be totally taken out of the Jehovah's Witness context. And in addition to that, there, you, if you can answer the Jehovah's Witnesses, a totally indoctrinated, very knowledgeable Jehovah's Witness about the divinity of Christ, or the resurrection, or 
um, the state of the dead or uh, you know any of those things, the Trinity, then you can answer anybody. Um, Jehovah's Witnessism is not just dealing with um, some people, you know, off the street. You're dealing with Arianism, which is a centuries-old heresy that was re- that's now been sort of really well-defined and all the loopholes and everything, and they've got it all in this nice little package. So it's really the best thing going. If you, if you, but most people, of course, won't join the Jehovah's Witnesses, but they will take some of their arguments, except they only take like a few. And so being able to refute this is going to be some of the best apologetic research that I have ever done. Period. Um, and with the Seventh Day Adventism thing, the more that I'm learning about it, the more that I realize it, this and the Jehovah's Witness thing. That understanding the gospel is so crucial. I want to. I want to just. I want to just emphasize that I played. I, I've been. I left that um, thing on my website where people could vote on the different gospel thing, and I left that up there for a long time because, although a lot of people didn't vote, but that's okay. Um, I wanted people to see all those things and, and start to learn more about the gospel and, and start to have some things click about the gospel. Okay, yeah, you know that does make sense, and and. Because I, and I also played the what is the gospel part one and part two on Revelations Radio Net, Network weekly because it has a lot of elements in there that do sort of picturesque and they start to stick and you're like okay yeah I think I'm starting to get a lot of what I've been told for a long time but didn't understand the hows and whys and those kinds of things I submit to everybody that if you if you really understand the gospel and you go and you and you try to understand it. Understand all the elements of the gospel. Well, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Or why did Jesus have to be perfect? Or, you know, what was the purpose of, you know, the the Passover, you know, lamb situations? Or, you know, understand the, the myriad of different things that play into the gospel. And you start to develop something that can and will be used by the Lord in your helping other people. Because it, start, it stops being, oh, we're... We're just spreading the gospel, brother. It, it's it's you see into somebody's situation and you see what's broken and it's related to the gospel. I mean, it, it's like, well, you you don't understand this part of the gospel. This is what you need. This is the thing that's going to fix it. You, you preach the gospel because it it becomes the answer to people's situations or their problems. I think that in this project with Seventh Day Adventism. I'm going to hit some of the main things like, uh, you know, soul sleep and Sabbath and all that stuff. But the main thing that I'm going to hit is is the gospel. I think that's really the only part that needs to be discussed. And I am talking about um, not evangelical Adventism, as it's sometimes known. There's been kind of a split in Adventism. And there is sort of the old school, and then there's the new school, sometimes referred to as evangelical Adventism, and there's quite a lot of debate going on about uh, that. So I'm I'm really not talking to the evangelical Adventists um, as much, but I do think it would certainly be helpful for them um, as well. Anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about in relation to that was repentance. Repentance is a big concept, and I've been thinking about doing a topical study on repentance at some point, and I wish I had, you know, sometimes I think about doing studies, and then instead of actually doing them, I'll just ramble at the top of my head about it 
um, which is not the preferable way to do it. But I have been listening to a few studies on repentance here and there. And one of the things that I would say is that, of course, repentance means literally change of mind or change mind. Meta is the Greek word metanoia or metanoia is some scholar has said, and maybe that's it, I don't know, but meta, change, noia is mind. So, change mind. Now, the main English definition of uh, repent is, hey, you repent um, about that, or we kind of think, you know, sackcloth and ashes and, and, you know, throwing a fit and crying and all that stuff means repent. And so, it's so it's synonymous with feel bad and even those of us that know that repent means change mind we still um still kind of think that somewhere in the back of our mind that context would not make any sense to a first century greek if you said if i said something completely and not in a religious context like you know i think i'm going to uh go to the store before i go to um, my house, and then somebody said, "Well, I don't know if that's a good idea. You, you, you ought to consider repenting." And then you would, in, the, in context today, you'd be like, "What do you mean? Um, I'm not going to feel bad about that, but it's change your mind is what what it means." So, repentance, we often speak of it in terms of a salvific thing: repent and believe the gospel. And then there's also a, a kind of repentance, if it's not the exact same kind, that is for a normal Christian life, that there needs to be repentance uh, in, 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 degree, in increasingly uh, better degrees in a Christian's life it's as a part of sanctification. And so what does that look like in more of the Christian's life is what I was thinking about it as opposed to salva- salvation, but I think salvation is, is the same thing, so we might as well talk about that too. It, you know... It has this danger of you saying, "Okay, you know, you're you're living in sin. You're, you're being convicted, though, by by the gospel, and you're being convicted about this, and and it's really on your mind about sin issues and your uh, rebellion against God, and you want to turn to the Lord, and you want to to um, be a Christian. You need to repent and believe the gospel. Okay, repent in that. Obviously, the gospel is a, you don't have to know all the details of the gospel that I just described. You don't got to know every detail. You just need to know the basics that that on the cross sin your sin was piled on somebody that didn't deserve it and he was crushed for you the justified wrath of god was put on him for you and he didn't deserve it he's the only guy in the world that could have marched to heaven on his own merit and said open up the doors and the offer is for to switch switch places you get his deserving of righteousness. And that's what you're going to trust in on Judgment Day. You're going to say, look, I didn't do it, but there was one who did. It's that that I'm clinging to, his righteousness, his goodness. And when God looks at the cross, he sees you and your sin. But when he looks at you, he sees Christ. And that's why he can then give you the Holy Spirit, because he doesn't see you anymore as uh, as a sinful person. You're forever seen with Christ's righteousness. That's why he can give you the Holy Spirit. That's why Ephesians 1 and 2 Corinthians talk about the, the Holy Spirit being the guarantee 
of your uh, of your future possession. How can that? It says, you know, once you've believed the gospel, uh, then you are given the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the guarantee of the purchased possession. How can at the moment of salvation, you can have guarantee? Of heaven and all the stuff that comes with it, all the all the inheritances that you can have a guarantee by the Holy Spirit's presence. Yes, because if you've been given the Holy Spirit, you have been stamped with Christ's righteousness for once and forever. Now you can still sin, you can do good works, you can do bad works, and they will have consequences from your actions. But because now the Spirit lives in you, you will begin to be changed. It is a definite. You can submit more and submit less, but that change is happening. The more you submit, the faster those changes will take place. If you sin, you will be convicted to such a degree that you must return to Him. That's what how once saved, always saved uh, makes sense. But it's not. It doesn't make sense if you think that salvation is simply saying a prayer, intellectually agreeing that Christ exists, or whatever form that you intellectually believe. No supernatural thing is happening there. No. No. No uh, transfer, no giving of, of supernatural power. The Holy Spirit is not changing your life from the inside out. So anyway, okay, mate, you don't have to believe every detail of what I just said, but you know what I'm saying. Believe the Gospels first. The repenting part, do you have to turn away from your sins? Do you have to clean yourself up before you can have that happen? Um, it is not... It is not possible, in many cases, for you to, on your own merit, uh, save yourself from your sins. It is, it is not. It is possible, certainly, for some kinds of things and, and, and a good, great majority of things. But to even have the desire to and the resolve and the ability to do anything about your heavy, heavy burden of sins, um, now the forgiveness. And, all, and to get forgiveness and all that stuff, you can't earn it by, you know, stopping smoking or, or any kind of thing like that. The repentance, the change of mind, is what needs to happen. What does that mean? How do you change your mind about your sin? Um, and, and I think that that functions in a willingness, a, a willingness to put it all on the table. A lot of times people are, you know saying, hey, I'm repenting, I'm, I'm crying and spitting and feeling bad all the time about my sin, you know, but, so I'm, I'm repenting, but, you know, nothing's happening. And sometimes, not all the time, what could be happening there is that there's something that's not on the table, something that they're not really willing to turn from. The, and, and, it, and this is a real important part of repentance, not just putting it all on the table, but realizing that you're not just willing to turn from your sins, but you are willing to turn to Christ and to dethrone yourself and to enthrone Him. In some way, shape, or form, that is there. To small degree or large degree, it is always there. The, The decision not just to be willing to turn from your sin, but to also be willing to turn to Christ. So it's a change of mind. All true, this is an important part, all true changes of mind in that context will result in action. Does that mean it will be perfect action? No, it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect action. But if you truly change your mind about it, it will result in action. 
And a true repentance, if you fall from sin, is not snotting about it and crying and carrying on. That might be a good thing. It could be. But it's don't. As soon as you think that that's what repentance is, especially in a lot of legalism cases, then what it then becomes is how can I feel bad enough? Oh, I'm not feeling bad enough. I'm not crying enough. I didn't even want to cry that time. You know, that's that's it becomes. Oh, I don't know if I'm good because I'm not sure if I'm repenting enough. The problem is you've got to you've got to unbiblical repent. You know. The Bible says repentance comes two different ways. One of them, it comes from sorrow. It mentions that. Sorrow leads you to repentance. Godly sorrow, I think is what it calls it. That's an interest. i got to look that verse up instead of just... Yeah, I should do that. But the other one is that know you not that the goodness of God leads to repentance. And that, that word there is a really helpful word in the midst of a very tough passage in, in Romans. Romans is just laying it down. The whole world is burdened with sin the whole world is sinning and rebelling against god everyone their righteousness is nothing they are they are totally uh rebellious and then it says you know you that are judging people don't you know you that judge others uh that you will be judged and it talks about don't you know that the goodness of god leads to repentance what he's talking about there is the forbearance of god the the long suffering of god God should have taken you out long ago, but he doesn't desire for anybody to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Look it up. Look it up the next time somebody tells you that, you know, God is, you know, out to get the world or God's a vengeful God or God does anything. God doesn't desire for anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. So that in a Christian's life, is really important too because I think that there's lots of things that we can, you know, repent for. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a, I kind of look at it as a fun thing that sometimes, you know, um, that it's something you work on. It's something that it's, it's a good thing to, to work on those things as a Christian to find faults that are, you, the good thing is, is that you know that all those faults that God says in his word that he's not cool with, the reason he's not cool with is always because they're doing something damaging to you. You know, it, it's it's bad for you to do the things that we want to do. So there are benefits in that way in 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 being obedient to his will about those things and seeking out those things and saying, okay, well, we'll work, we'll work on this. You know, um, I mentioned in my testimony about pornography, and that was a a process that took you know years really for that to be gone, um, but and I discussed in that, I think you could see, if you watch that, uh, different, uh, you, know, you know, the the evidence of that repentance that I'm talking about here being there uh, in each and every stumble. And the stumbles themselves lead you to changing and solidifying your resolve again, you know, getting back, uh, you know, on the tightrope and being like, okay, we're going to try it for real this time and we're going to go further down this, this rope than we've ever gone and, you know, not intending to fall off ever again. But if you stumble, if you fall, that results in, you know, even more resolve. Um, and there's a great video out called Don't Expect a Perfect Repentance. And um, it's from I'll Be Honest. It's it, it's pretty good for, for people that are they're struggling with that kind of stuff. Um, 
Okay, I guess that's it for the day. If anybody has any questions, don't hesitate to write, but I am not going to be able to get to my emails as much during this um, this weekend as I normally can. Uh, I hopefully got a few projects coming out pretty soon. There are going to be two one-and-a-half-hour one videos at the end of the month with uh, the presentations that I'm doing about the New Age and about Zeitgeist. Also saw the initial kernels of the uh, Polyanity movie that Ivan has been working on, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be just jam-packed with a lot of good information, but don't expect that one out for you know a while. It's sort of a long-term thing. And then uh, also the first seeds of the new gospel movie, uh, a separate gospel thing that may or may not be included in the gospel tract, but will be included in a totally different uh, format, essentially answering the question how to be saved. It should be a, a long situation, and uh, that is going to start work here probably when I, when I get back from Future Congress. Lots of stuff going to happen when I get back from Future Congress, including a lot of the uh, the Jehovah's Witness stuff and, and getting started on the Seventh-day Adventist stuff as well. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. See you all at Future Congress. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere to Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time. Oh,